This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How is life in Texas, Chad? Life is okay in Texas. I I feel like I'm on like out in the field because <laughs> I am holding my microphone rather than having it mounted in front of me. And <laughs> I'm... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, I can see you, so you look like you're you're like on the camera, yeah. like a news now station. Now back to it's you, Katie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am a house slash dog sitting for a family friend this week, and I brought all my podcasting stuff with me. I brought my microphone. I brought my. I, I brought everything. I even brought the mic stand, but I did not bring the thing that attaches the microphone to the mic stand. So all that's useless. And so I'm holding it. And so hopefully there's not going to be a lot of extra additional mic sounds. Uh, I, I like to consider myself a professional, but then I forgot to bring my mic stuff. So maybe not. You're not a traveling podcaster. so Yeah, not usually. Uh, <laughs> we'll forgive you once. Yeah. But things are okay with you? Things are good. Good. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, something to touch on. Kind of, it's not a small thing either, especially considering that we're hosting a podcast about The Office right now. I met Rain Wilson, <laughs> and I completely totally forgot to mention did that. Did not last mention week. it in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh yeah, there was Fan Expo Dallas, which is sort of like Dallas Comic Con here a couple of weekends ago, and I'd known about it for a while. And it was my second year attending. Last year I attended because I was going to meet all the Back to the Future cast. And I was really excited about it because it's my favorite movie. And then two of the four canceled. And so I only got to meet two of them, which is cool, but whatever. Anyways, they were all coming back this year. And so I got tickets to go again. And I did get to meet all of the Back to the Future people, which is awesome. But also there was Rain Wilson. And so I wasn't sure originally if I was going to get a chance to meet him. He wasn't technically my priority, but uh, considering that, again, I'm hosting an office podcast, I sort of felt obligated. And so I, I showed up to the event in my Back to the Future shirt and I got my Back to the Future signatures. I've got a poster now signed by Michael J. Fox and Tom Wilson, who's Biff, and Leah Thompson, who's Lorraine, and James Tolkien, who's Strickland, the principal and who else christopher lloyd duh, doc brown and also the poster artist so that's in my collection which is awesome and then i switched into my dunder mifflin shirt and i waited in line for a long time for rain wilson he stayed late after the event to meet everybody i got him to record a video which is awesome i keep saying it's awesome but it is it's really cool it was awesome and i was texting katie during this as well, because I was going to try and get him to record something that we could put on the podcast, something like, uh, here's an office quote. And then, hi, I'm Rain Wilson, and you're listening to an American Workplace podcast with Chad and Katie. And so I get to him and I give him the thing I want him to read. And he very politely, very kindly says, I'm not comfortable doing this <laughs> because he was like, I've never heard the podcast and I feel like I'm endorsing it. And it's hard to endorse something that you don't know about. And I was like, That's okay, fair. it's fair. I get it. And so yeah. he still read the quote that I had written, which was uh, something that hasn't happened yet. So <laughs> there's that. Oops. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, if, if you've seen the show and you're comfortable seeing a quote, I mean, even if, you have, even if you haven't seen the show, it's not like a spoiler quote, but it is from the future. Uh, so it's on my Twitter and it is on the podcast Facebook page. I posted it there. So you can go check it out. Uh, it's really kind of him. And yeah, kind of a big deal. And I just 
did not mention it last week. So fun. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I've I've always hoped to run into some office cast or crew or whatever up here in New York because it's not uncommon. I mean, it happens. You run into people, but no such luck. Not yet. Though I did just see Michael J. Fox like not even a week after you did. So that's yeah, crazy. that was pretty crazy. Less than a week. <laughs> and you we, we, we saw the same celebrity within a week in yeah. two completely different parts of the state uh, the country. So that's cool. yeah, kind of crazy. But moving on to more office related things. Uh, we got some emails this week from Greg, Leslie, and Peter, and we got some Apple podcast reviews from Capes of Wonder asking about sorting the office characters into Hogwarts houses, which is a great idea for a bonus that we need to uh, incorporate sometimes. So keep an eye out for that, Patreon subscribers. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that's all of our housekeeping. And so moving into our first episode of discussion today is trivia. It aired January 12th, 2012, directed by B.J. Novak and written by Steve Healy. It's the last day of the fiscal quarter and Dunder Mifflin Scranton is $800 behind the 8% increase that Andy promised Robert earlier in the season. Andy at first tries to convince everyone to buy their own paper out of their own pockets, because that makes sense. <laughs> but when Oscar leaves for a trivia night with a grand prize of $1,000 to the winner, Andy sees another opportunity. Multiple teams are formed, and Andy learns that sometimes big surprises come from the most unlikely of people. world. There's a lesson in here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so Andy's still feeling the stress. Uh, this is the sales quarter that Robert wanted Andy to double sales in, uh, and that's today, as you said. So. They are about $800, as you said, $830, I think, short. And as you said, Andy wants his employees to buy the paper, but I guess he's not just all talk. He's bought paper himself. His car is full to the brim of paper, and he's got $2,200 worth of paper in his garage. So he has done his part. Um, <laughs> not to mention getting them almost double uh, in, in their quarter. So he's done a really good job, but... They're, they're just so close, and the office thinks, okay, this, this should be enough. I mean, Robert will be proud of you. You did a really good job. But no, Andy, in true pleasing form, wants to hit that double mark. And uh, he said he would, so he's going to try. Well, here's the thing that just occurred to me, though. They're actually $3,000 short because Andy has $2,200 in yeah. his own garage. So how close are they actually? maybe not close at all to doubling their profits. I would think maybe that's on par for what they did last quarter, if not a little bit beyond, but it just occurred to me, the fact that Andy has 2200s of paper already in his own garage that he bought with his own money means that yeah. they aren't close. They're just True. close on paper. Uh, the office must not know about that garage yeah. paper. Uh, so what I just said makes what I'm about to say sort of moot, but I mean, is Andy really so afraid of not meeting Robert's growth expectations that he'd spend so much of his own money to make it happen? I mean, surely 6% or 7% or whatever, wherever they're sitting, even after he's bought the money. So that, I mean, that does show up in the company report. So they have that money or whatever they've reached. Is it, is that, I would think that's improvement enough. And I think that Robert, despite what he asked for, would still give, uh, you know, job well done. We'll, we'll do better next time. Or at least it might elicit that kind of mentality. Even though Robert is intense, I would like to think 
he can recognize improvement. Robert may be able to. I don't think Andy can fall short comfortably. I think him being the people-pleasing guy that he is and the guy that has to feel the need to prove himself all the time, that darn it, if he can double it, he's going to double it. If he said he was going to do something, he's going to do it, which is not, you know, a bad thing. It is, though, when you're spending $2,200 of your own money on paper you don't need to meet that quota. That's not his responsibility. Personally, like outside of work hours and outside of work money to meet that quota. He should not need to buy that paper, but he feels the need to. I don't think it's necessarily Robert that would punish him, but Andy that would punish himself. That makes sense. It's just Andy continuing to try and live up to people's expectations for him, even if they really don't have expectations for him. Like Andy thinks his parents have expectations for him, but they seem to just not care about him. So it's like something he's put up in his mind. And I'm sure that even though Robert said, yes, we need to double profits this next quarter, in the end, an improvement is an improvement and money is money. Um, Yeah. But anyways, this leads into the next part of the episode, the bulk of the episode, which is Oscar saying, you know, I can't cook the books for you, Andy. Andy actually goes to accounting and says, hey, my dad said, and this maybe raises some suspicion on his dad's part, that an accountant can do things for you. Like, that's a rounding error, Oscar says. Andy says, well, you can make that error. Oscar says, "Uh, I don't don't know if I can. Kevin says, I can make that error. (laughs) And poor Kevin, he gets gets a lot of crap this episode. Andy says, I really need a real accountant on this. But anyways, Oscar says, I'm not going to deal with this right now. It is not my job to cook your books for you. I am going to leave on my previous appointment. I'm going to play trivia. This is something I do all the time. It's a grand champion night tonight, $1,000 prize. So goodbye, see you tomorrow. Well, ding, 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 $1,000 prize. And he thinks there's the $800 I need. And so being a brilliant manager, he <laughs> I'm giving him a hard time. <laughs> he <laughs> packs everybody up and let's drive to Philadelphia. What is it? Two hours? Isn't that what Dale said? It was at two, two and a half. Yeah, Yeah. somewhere in there. He said there were many times during the blank drive. I think it was two and a half, two two hours or so. Drives everybody to Philadelphia and forms trivia teams to increase their chances of winning, although he doesn't seem to have a lot of faith in any team except for his own. Yeah, so they break into three teams, the A team, the backups, and the just have fun team, which why bring them? I mean, I guess... It's a group activity at this point, but they split up. Um, it's originally, I didn't write this down. A team is Jim, Daryl, Andy, Ryan, and then Kevin is originally on there, but they just stare him down and he moves to the Just Have Fun team. Well, the, the worst part is he says, nice self-awareness, everybody, because he doesn't assign everybody to teams. He lets right. them do it themselves. He's like, you assess yourselves and put yourself where you know you belong. And so everybody splits off and he says, nice self-awareness, everyone, except, and then they stare down Kevin. So it's like, you clearly don't know your value here, which is awful. (laughs) That's strike two for Kevin here, or Andy against Kevin. Mm -hmm. The backups, we have Phyllis, we have Stanley. Jim tries to join the backups, but Stanley says, nah, you know where you belong, kid. Kicks (laughs) him out of the backups. We have, oh gosh, who else is a backup? Um, Well, it was... Phyllis Stanley. Is Creed there? Yes. Creed. Creed. The Just Have Funds are 
Meredith, Aaron, Kevin. Meredith, Aaron, yeah. And Kelly. Kelly. So the rest are backups that we didn't list. <laughs> Meredith takes charge of that good timers and and really just blows the whole thing off. But they participate. I mean, they, they actually don't end up blowing it off. They They end up giving it their all. And Andy really puts his full faith in the A team. Oscar, of course, is is on his original team that he he goes to this bar, so that's the team he's on. Uh, oh, also turns out it's a gay bar. Yeah, I was about that to mention that. No one <laughs> Oscar failed to mention that, and so they show up to this um gay bar and we're not prepared for that. And it, it was definitely a a trivia night, but Dunder Mifflin was the odd one out there for sure. They compete and the A team does okay. The backup team, not so great. Surprisingly, the Einsteins, as the the for fun team calls themselves, does really, really well. Like, surprisingly well. I think back to when Gabe was playing against Aaron on, like, Scrabble or Words with Friends or whatever. And he says, you know, I'm imagining a slumdog billionaire scenario in which each word she's playing connects with her orphan past. But really, it was BS because she was getting help from Pam and Oscar. But here, it actually appears to be happening with the uh, For Fun team, the Einsteins, and these trivia questions. Aaron knows about sailing because of Andy. Meredith knows about learning disabilities because she has children. Kelly knows about Lamar Odom because of the show Chloe and Lamar. Kevin knows about scales because he's a big dude. And he knows about French cinema because Marianne Cotillard exposes herself in <laughs> that particular French film. It's just a perfect storm of every question really does apply to some aspect of these people's lives. And so, yeah, they do really well. Um, it is a Slumdog Millionaire situation. It's nice to see Kevin, who has been sort of undervalued all day, have a win. And in fact, he has a talking head or really a, a voiceover, I guess, at the end of the episode. He says, look. I know it's easy to say tonight was just a fluke, and maybe it was, but here's a piece of trivia. A fluke is one of the most common fish in the sea. So if you go fishing for a fluke, chances are you just might catch one. Which was clever. And dang it, good for you, Kevin. <laughs> he got kicked out of the A-team and helped save the company. I mean, the company wasn't in any real danger, but he self helped save Andy's butt. So yeah, good for him. Yeah, after being called not a real accountant by Andy at the office and then basically being told yeah you're you're not quite at our level and it's kind of silly that you think you are so go have fun with the others uh the the way his face falls in that moment is really really sad so yeah it it is nice and again i think back to a previous episode when they called together the five families because db jones was taking up the parking spots and so kevin was just like it's nice to finally have a win yeah. It's nice for him to have a win. I, I, I like to see Kevin having a good time and doing well for himself. Now, Dwight was not at this trivia night. Dwight was in Florida, actually. He heard of a manager position open up in Sabre's printer division. So he's gone to Florida to interview with Robert. And he runs into Gabe, who we learn spends Tuesdays and Thursdays in Scranton and Monday, Wednesday, Fridays in Tallahassee. And he has a deathly fear of flying. So that's got to be fun. When Robert arrives, Dwight's there, and it seems as if Robert has just forgotten his meeting with Dwight and is really flustered and kind of annoyed that Dwight's there and just doesn't really want to meet with him at all. Robert says, you know what, I'm going to go settle into my office. I'll come out in a bit and we'll meet. But when Robert comes out later, he 
tells Dwight that, you know what, I actually can't meet today. Something's come up, but Dwight, you can meet with the COO. He'll be in soon and you can meet with him. And Dwight's pretty annoyed by that, pretty frustrated, but okay, still a chief, still COO. Meanwhile, he and Gabe are, are sparring this whole time because they each think that they're alpha over each other. And <laughs> it's, it's just not being, this isn't really working out for Dwight. And especially when Robert then, after he leaves, calls Gabe on his office or on his desk phone and says, look, the COO is not going to see Dwight. He's not going to waste his time with this. Wait 10 minutes, wait 20 minutes and listen to his pitch and then send him home. So that happens. That's just what happens. We first get a glimpse into maybe why Robert spends so much time in Scranton. He doesn't seem to like Florida very much. He says, I'm not sure which is worse, the trip or the destination. So he's already not wanting to be there in a very broad aspect, there being Florida. And then he clearly doesn't want to talk to Dwight, whether he forgot about it or whether he was just coming up with this ruse to distract Dwight, to, to get him to, to, to just make it sound like he didn't have time for him. He's just not doing right by Dwight. He, Dwight deserves to be heard by someone who matters, you know, whether Dwight is a good fit for the job or not, whether Robert intended to hire Dwight or not. Dwight did deserve to be heard by somebody who like made him feel important and shoving it off onto Gabe. Yeah, that's not going to, to make Dwight feel good about anything, especially if he doesn't get it. If he was having to interview with Gabe and Robert intended to give him the job, that'd be one thing, but it's pretty clear that he has no intent of giving Dwight this position. And so this interview with Gabe is just so condescending to his, his ability. And so it doesn't go well. Gabe tries to get rid of Dwight and Dwight says, no, not happening. Take me to Robert. And he forces Gabe to take him to Robert's place. They meet. I appreciate that Robert is honest with Dwight. He says, listen, your ambition and your drive would be wasted on a manager position. Whether that's the truth or not, I don't know, but it, it appears to be true to Dwight. He, he's being honest with him. I appreciate that he's trying to be honest in some capacity. But, you know, why not just tell him that from the beginning? Why lead him on like this, shove him onto Gabe, and then be surprised when all of a sudden he's not satisfied with that? Did he really think that Dwight's ambition and drive would be wasted on a manager position? position or was it was it for some other unrevealed reason i believe that is answered in actually one of the deleted scenes now i believed robert in the episode until i watched the deleted scenes so i guess i'll just mention that one now um there's a talking head with robert in a deleted scene that says there's a funny law of business known as the peter principle every employee gets promoted until he reaches the level of his incompetence right now dwight as a salesman has reached his highest level of competence now he's feeling the pool of moving up or moving on. My job is to make sure that neither of those happens. So he feels that Dwight is as successful as he could possibly be right now, that any higher up, he will fail. I find that hard to believe, given that Dwight's one of the best salesmen in the company, but that's what Robert believes. So he has no intention of, of promoting him ever. Well, he does at least say that if there's a job that comes around that Dwight is a good fit for, then he'll make it happen. He says, when something comes along that is right for you, I'll try you out. <laughs> now get the hell out of my place. So right. who knows if anything will come from that. But 
at least for now, Dwight is satiated. Although I do want to mention Robert's first attempt at making Dwight okay with this is before he says the whole, you're not a good fit for this. He tries to give Dwight a war medal that is supposedly from his grandfather. And I don't know what he tried to accomplish with this. I think he he thought he had Dwight read a certain way. I think he knew that Dwight respected authority and respected warriors, especially. And under ordinary circumstances, Dwight might have been thrilled to have an honor like that bestowed upon him. But because that wasn't Dwight's outcome that he had envisioned for himself, Dwight was expecting to come out of this with a job. That's why it wasn't okay with him. But it was just weird that Robert tried it in the first place. And the best thing I could think of is he just, he thought that it would work on Dwight, just knowing what he knows about Dwight. Yeah, I was proud that Dwight just shut that down immediately. He he made that face of kind of being honored and then sense kicked in and he said, no, this is a job interview, not a flea market. So mm-hmm. he's, he's not going to be bought. He wants what he thinks he deserves. So. That's where we land with those two. Um, sort of a fruitless trip to Florida. The only other story character things I wanted to mention, um, most of this can go into funny stuff, but the fact that Aaron knows what a flying jib is, it's a sailing term and a part of a sailboat, I really appreciate that she knows that because it means that her time spent with Andy was meaningful and she took something away from it, even if they aren't together at this moment. Um, and Andy appreciated that too. He, he acknowledged her across her. I'm like, oh, you remember it. That's really cool. So I wanted to mention that. Now moving into some funny moments. The cold open. The office has been on a silent streak. No one said anything in 14 minutes, which apparently is huge for them. But it's uh, threatened when Dwight's phone rings, but he's dedicated. He hangs up on his call. <laughs> it's threatened again when Andy sees a raccoon outside eating a hamburger and he's just so excited and he wants everyone to see but the thing that finally gets it the thing that finally breaks the streak is when kevin bites into a candy bar apparently he cannot help but saying oh yeah every time he bites into oh, a candy yeah. bar and uh that's uh <laughs> that finally does it and in fact he said it twice biting into the same candy bar because it was just so good i get one of my favorite office gifts from this cold open which is andy miming the raccoon eating the hamburger uh, I'll, I'll have to tweet it because I love that gif and I searched a long time to it's find it. <laughs> uh, when Andy first suggests the idea of going to the trivia night, I love how excited Jim and uh, Daryl are. Andy says, there's a trivia contest at a bar in Philadelphia. Jim says, stop right there. I love it. Daryl says, I'm in. Andy says, I didn't even say what it is. Daryl, it's trivia, Jim, in Philadelphia. <laughs> Andy, but here's the best part. The prize is $1,000, and if we win, we can use that money to buy paper here, close the gap on our 8% profit increase. Jim just interrupts and says, that's a great idea. Daryl says, that's a great plan. They're very into it. Uh, (laughs) Andy says, I'm so psyched you guys are into it because I thought, I was like, this sounds really stupid. Daryl says, you just made a good idea, a great idea. (laughs) And they continue their excitement whenever they arrive at the bar. Daryl is the one to make the realization that this is a gay bar. He says. There were times on the two and a half hour drive when I experienced doubt. That's the thing about long drives, you know, you're always going to, this is a gay bar. (laughs) (laughs) Just like the sudden realization. (laughs) Mid-sentence. And then, of course, when Andy continues with his trying to psych them up for the the plan, 
He says, well, there is one problem with this plan. Daryl says, what? And he says, we'd have to leave work, like, right now. And Daryl and Jim just get really wide-eyed and, like, blindly <laughs> fist bump each other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this gets better and better. Gabe, with his sort of sparring, butting heads with Dwight, he prides himself on being the, his words, not mine, the office toilet. He thinks that is a wonderful position to be. Now, what that means for him is that he flushes away annoying problems so others can keep their hands clean. And just like a toilet, he says, I am essential. Dwight says, you know what, Gabe, you could have gone with garbage disposal, incinerator, or eraser, and instead you chose toilet. God bless you. You're an American classic. (laughs) (laughs) And I love, because Dwight actually has his back to Gabe when Gabe is explaining this. And you see Dwight just, he has this perfect comeback and he just slowly turns around and just nails Gabe with this. (laughs) It's just like, oh, Gabe is, he's so sad. I I, I never know quite how to, like... I kind of want to give him a hug. And then I'm like, ah, no, no like you're you. creepy. <laughs> <laughs> the very first question of the trivia night has to do with Ray Charles. He says, Ray Charles famously had this state on his mind. What is its capital? And Creed, being a genius or something, says, let's reverse engineer this. You're a black singer. Where do you go? Somewhere you're a novelty. Alaska? <laughs> and Stanley's just like, <laughs> Atlanta. But Creed's trying to get all like psychological about it. Reverse engineer this. And then my favorite bit about that is the just have fun team, the C team, wants to know where a blind person might go. So Kevin writes C Adel, S E E Adel, because uh, he'd want to know what it was yeah. like, I guess. Truly bad. He asks, What do blind people think about? And Aaron says, Dogs, canes, signs, manholes, stairs, piano. Darkness. Darkness. (laughs) Piano might actually be my favorite just because there's like a a sort of a history with blind piano players, I guess, in the pop rock music industry. There's uh, Ronnie Millsap and there's Stevie Wonder and there's Ray Charles. Uh, So it's funny that she associates piano with something (laughs) blind people see (laughs) or think about. Well, and so did Creed, actually, a long time ago when Pam was wearing her glasses. He said, I say we take off her glasses and put her in front of a piano and see what she can do right. or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> She's a jazz cat. Trying to get rid of uh, Dwight, Gabe says, hey, man, uh, look, unfortunately, Bill had to go fight a fire. So your appointment got and Dwight just sniffs. He goes, there's no fires within eight miles of here. Gabe says, well, it's nine miles away. Like, oh, sorry. That's the way it goes. Nine miles. (laughs) His radius of smell. Mm. Ryan, during trivia night, pulls out his phone and is checking it. And uh, the MC or the host kind of makes a joke. Hey, I'm sure you're just checking your grinder account, but turn off your phone. You can't have it on during trivia. And Ryan says, oh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm turning it off. And he goes, no, I see you. You're not turning it off. So the bouncer or whatever takes it away and it's, he's literally without his phone for one second before Ryan quits the team because he needs to be with his phone. He has to have it on him. He says, I can't not touch it. I want to be with my phone. (laughs) There's another question asking, who was the relatively unknown patent clerk who discovered that energy equals mass times the speed of light squared? Uh, The announcer says, looks like everyone gets a point for Albert Einstein. Oh, wait. 
except for the Einsteins, <laughs> they put Edison. <laughs> it's just too perfect. When they arrive at Robert's house, who we should point out, is not it's a condo. It's pretty modest. It's not really anything that we that I pictured Robert living in, but more on that later. Uh, Robert is finishing up a wrestling match with a man named Stu and invites Gabe and Dwight to grab a drink from the fridge. And Dwight just looks at the camera, kind of like Jim would, just like this is the weirdest possible thing that he could have walked in on. Even for Dwight, this is weird, which is what made that so funny for me, that he never expected Robert to be holding a wrestling session in the middle of his living room as a form of exercise. I think he said, I I could go to the gym three times a week or I could wrestle Stu once a month. Yeah, that's how that (laughs) works. Same amount of exercise. When they get to the final part of the trivia, they go into a speed round where instead of writing down their answers, it's the first to ding the bell that's on their table and answer the question. So the very first question comes up. It says, this man had a fatwa declared on him when, and before he even finishes, Aaron rings the bell. The host says, Einstein's? Mary says, what? Aaron says, what is it? She just says, I, I did my part, babe. I'm just the bell girl. <laughs> that's not how that's supposed to work. It's not supposed to be fastest to ding the bell. It's fastest to ding the bell with the correct answer. So uh, strike one on Aaron, although it does come in handy later. Aaron's verbiage is just so funny. Like every once in a while, she'll just say something. And I'm like, where did that come from? I can imagine it's like having a kid that said something you've, who taught you that? And she's like, I, I did my job, babe. Like, yeah. Why are you calling her babe? Why are you like this? So weird. Maybe my last one. Robert's explaining why Dwight shouldn't live in Florida. He says there are bugs and mold. It's hot and wet. There are alligators. Alligators are dinosaurs, Dwight. You know that, right? <laughs> and Dwight says, mm, uh, it's complicated. <laughs> that was actually my last one as well. So oh, really? <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> He's like, I could correct you. Yeah, I just love the face that Dwight to. makes. Just like, <laughs> mm, it's complicated. let's go into deleted scenes starting off andy is imploring the staff he says if you can't buy eight hundred dollars of paper today at least go out there and sell eight hundred dollars more than usual today jim says listen andy it's the last day of the quarter we've already called all of our clients we've made our sales it's going to be too hard to do it today stanley then has a talking head he says i'm sitting on twenty five hundred dollars of sales that i can make at any time but those are his quote wait until the separation is final sales. Like when he needs a little influx of cash, that's when he'll, he'll jump on those uh, sales and get that commission. But he's not quite there yet. See, I took, that, I took that more as when the separation is legal, she cannot take any of that money. I like that one better. I think that's be- that, that fits Stanley a little bit more. Yeah, <laughs> because she could be entitled to half of that money if he gets it now. But if he waits, it's all his. Right. It's money that he has, but he doesn't have it yet. So it can't be taken. Legally. Yes. There's a Dwight talking head. He says, okay, there's still an opportunity here. Blow Gabe away with the best presentation ever because I am a fighter and a fighter fights and a fighter will not go down without a fight. Even if he doesn't know who his opponent is or what direction he's facing, he will fight because that's how he was built. Real steel. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's the the Hugh Jackman movie about the boxing robot. So don't really know how applicable the quote about not knowing who your opponent is or what direction you're facing is to Dwight because he is not a robot. <laughs> but hey. <laughs> Andy has a talking head. 
He says, it's also quite good for amateur animation. He's trying to sell the paper again. And he's made a flip book. And it's stick figures of him and Robert. And they shake hands. And they do a little dance. And Andy's stick figure says, 8%. And Robert says, I'm so proud of you. So there's an answer <laughs> that right there. What, what, why this is such a big deal. He wants to, somebody to be proud of him. And he says, it took me two weeks. <laughs> but he had lots of paper to practice on. Yeah, $2,200 worth. Yeah, no kidding. Andy approaches the Einsteins and wants to switch the teams up once he realizes that, oh, they're actually pretty good. He wants Kevin and Kelly on the A-team, and Oscar goes over, and Oscar, again, is not even a part of the Dunder Mifflin team right now, and he tells them that they can't do that. That's against the rules. So Andy just asks them to focus and concentrate, and maybe they can win this. And then it's at that time that Meredith comes over with brain food which are just a bunch of shots <laughs> so they uh they're gonna focus mm -hmm. kevin has a talking head he says when i dropped out of school to watch more sports a lot of people thought that i was nuts well who's laughing now <laughs> and he takes a sip of his beer in the middle of a trivia night that he's currently in the process of maybe winning <laughs> for his office it's just like a ridiculous scenario I don't think they care that you're winning trivia night. <laughs> Not so much. Dwight talking head. Did I achieve my goal of going to Florida? No. My goal was to get a new job. I did get the promise of a new job. I think you'll keep that promise. My other goal was to get a picture of myself with an alligator. I achieved that goal. <laughs> he has this picture with him and an alligator. And he, I don't know when he had time to sneak that in, but he did. Yeah. Uh, we get another trivia question, deleted scene. Kelly correctly identifies the name of the Jewish holiday that celebrates the new year for trees as Tu B'Shavat. I don't think I pronounced that right, but that's okay. Tu B'Shavat? That sounds right, yeah. Sorry, I do want to say it correctly. I just don't remember how they said it, so <laughs> my apologies. She then asks, is it true that you're not allowed to spend time with your girlfriend during the month of Tu B'Shavat? And the trivia announcer just sort of uncomfortably says, No. Kelly says, I knew it. I knew it. Ryan lies to me. He says he has a whole Jewish holiday for the entire month. So that's why she knew it is because Ryan used it as an excuse to not hang out with her. And then the last one is just a little Oscar talking head. It's a little it gets better campaign. He says, it gets better, kids. It gets so much better that one day your stupid co-workers will be excited to show up at your gay bar and ruin your trivia night. <laughs> yeah, because it, it should be mentioned, Oscar's team did come in second place. And so had it not been for the Einsteins, they would have won. Um, yep. And before we go on to discussion topic, there are just a couple small things that I wanted to mention. We didn't mention that the Einsteins then think, oh, we're trivia geniuses. So let's go play more trivia and make, make some easy cash they get every single question wrong. <laughs> Just a, like stupid It's like answer. the championship. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the next level up. Yeah. It, 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 it does not go well for them. And then the last thing was, it was sort of like the, the point of the episode summed up for me. I think it's just about Andy learned here, as I mentioned in my plot summary, that you shouldn't rely on only a few people or having tiers of people like a team, backup team, fun team. It's really condescending. And it's especially a good lesson for him as a manager. You have to rely on your people collectively. You can't think of any as lesser or lower in ability than others. You have to learn everyone's weaknesses, but more importantly, you have to learn everyone's strengths and utilize them. And that's what he sort of learns uh, tonight at, at this trivia night is that these for fun people, like, yeah, you participated, here's your trophy. 
they have their strengths and he just has to learn them and utilize them. So I just wanted to mention that before we moved on. So your little full house moment at the beginning was really wrapped mm-hmm. up here where we got our, our moral yeah. for the <laughs> for the succumb. <laughs> okay, discussion topic. Probably no reason, but I'm just curious if you could think of anything. Any reason why Andy's treating Kevin so poorly recently? Uh, this whole episode, Kevin's just been getting stepped all over. I, I had a couple of thoughts. First off, when he said, I really need a real accountant on this. Literally, the only knowledge that we have about Kevin becoming an accountant at Dunder Mifflin is when Michael told us in a talking head that Kevin was originally applying to work in the warehouse. And so I pondered in my notes, do you think that this is a well-known piece of information around the office? Like, was Kevin open about it? Or was it one of those things where Kevin thought it was a secret, but didn't realize that everyone else already knew? So that means when Andy says, we need a real accountant on this, it's just like Kevin feeling, oh, I'm exposed now. Everybody's going to know that I'm not doing a job I was meant for. I, I don't know. It, it was really strange uh, and just a thought that I went through. And then the other thing uh, was when he's kicked out of the A-team group, I, I wonder if Kevin was thinking he is beyond his abilities, like he'd actually be an asset to the A-team, or was Kevin just trying to treat this as a fun event and sit with his friends, which are Jim and Daryl? So... I don't know what explains Andy's behavior, except for the fact that maybe he knows that Kevin wasn't originally supposed to be an accountant. But in Mm. any case, it's not okay. I was thinking basically what you said, in addition with the fact that Andy, when stressed, is not his best self and tends to take things out on others and like, I don't know, get, I, I, I can't think of an example that I probably should have, but I, I have the feeling that when he is stressed, he he gets a little short and a little mean. Not mean, but like says things he probably shouldn't. I mean, it might just be left over from his anger management times. Yeah. Yeah, fair. So, yeah, he just doesn't do well with stress and takes it out on people. And Kevin just took the brunt of it this episode. But Kevin got a victory in the end. Yep. Okay, going into our next episode discussion, it is for the episode Pool Party. It aired on January 19th of 2012, was directed by Charles McDougall, and written by Owen Ellickson. Robert is selling his house in Scranton and holds one last party. Andy brings his girlfriend Jessica to the party, but also brings an engagement ring. Aaron attempts to make Andy jealous at the party by flirting with Dwight, and Jim just tries to leave. Almost nobody gets what they want, while a depressed Robert laments over his failed marriage and missed opportunities. Okay, the first thing I wanted to mention was Andy and Jessica. Andy says his parents met Jessica, and his words, they completely flipped for Jessica. But after seeing how they treated Andy overall in Garden Party, I so highly doubt that their reaction to anyone Andy dates or associates with would be, flipped. And so I suspect that this is just Andy overhyping their actual reactions, but in any case, they did give him a ring to use even if they did take out the maiden diamond because they're jerk bags. And so by giving him a ring, they give him their blessing. So that's nice. Yeah. But I I just couldn't help but think, oh, poor Andy, you're still putting your parents higher in your head than you should because they don't place you any higher in theirs. One more thing about Just the fact that Andy is considering proposing, 
Andy says, I haven't proposed to anyone in years. It's it sort of presented as a silly notion. But, you know, him proposing to Angela was serious for him. And now that he's carrying around a ring, it shows that he's seriously considering proposing to Jessica and possibly even soon if he's like literally carrying it around in his pocket. And I think that his relationship with Jessica shows that he's matured a lot since season four, season four, season five. <clears throat> I think back to when he first asked out Angela, it was sort of because he was horny. Like, to put it bluntly, he, he went to Jim and was like, hey, who here is single? Because I really need to get some relief is basically the way he phrased it at the time. And Angela was the only one available and attractive to him uh, as far as women in the office goes. And so it was obvious to everyone but him the entire course of their relationship that Angela didn't reciprocate his feelings. He proposed on a whim at the party for Toby leaving. He was just like, I had the ring. It felt okay. Like, why not? Sure. But here is Jessica. And she, this time, obviously cares about him. They've been on many dates. They've been dating for several months. And now he's only considering proposal rather than just like, let's do it now. So he's not jumping right in. So I just I just wanted to highlight that Andy has matured a lot in at least this regard in his pursuit of women. Regarding Andy and Aaron, Meredith, while they're still at the office, tells Aaron that Andy followed her home, followed Aaron home after the Christmas party when Robert took Aaron home. And Aaron takes this to mean that Andy is into her again. Even though he's got Jessica, even though he's serious about Jessica, Aaron misunderstands. So hit pause there. Robert is in the office and announces that he's selling his house, uh, which I said more on that later. Um, his condo in Florida was this itty bitty modest thing. And this house in Scranton is huge, gaudy, it's like a playboy mansion turned married man's house. It's just nuts. It's austere. But his wife left him. And it's forcing him to sell the house. And he invites everyone over for one last party, one last pool party. He's got this indoor pool. So everyone's going over to his house tonight. And Aaron decides, well, first, she tries to flirt with Andy at the party. But that doesn't go well. He's, he barely notices it. And what he does notice, he's just like, oh, I'm going, I'm, I'm hanging out with Jessica. You know, it's, it's, he's not at all interested. So Aaron takes that to mean that she should now make Andy jealous. So she picks Dwight. Dwight is pretty flattered by this, actually, because that means that he's a macho guy that can help make Andy jealous. So all night long, they attempt to make Andy jealous by just flirting like no one's business, like really weird, inappropriate, loud flirting. It, it's sad to see the way Aaron misinterprets Andy's actions at the end of Christmas Wishes. She's excited at learning that Andy still cares about her, but Andy, yeah, he cares, but caring can be 100% platonic. And in this case, it appears to be 100% platonic because he's very happy and considering engagement to Jessica. The fact that she interprets it as, oh, wow, Andy desperately wants out of his relationship with his current girlfriend and wants to be with me instead, it's really sad. When she says in her talking head at the pool that she thought Andy followed her home with Robert out of jealousy... That, that wasn't even a sliver of what was going through Andy's head at the time. I don't think. I think he was thinking, Robert's kind of a creepy dude. I hope Aaron's okay. Better go check on her. Yeah. So it, it's just sad how misplaced and how misinterpreted Aaron gets in this episode. I know that's not proper English, but that's okay. 
it, it's just sad seeing her sort of flounder here. And in regard to Robert, I, I get his misery at having to sell his house. Like it's understandable, but it's also a little bit strange because selling it is acknowledging the end of his marriage. But the way he describes it, the house was originally bought as basically an altar for his bachelorhood because he had the house before he was married. It, it's just like this weird cross section of the the bachelor part of his life and like the sex field part of his life and then the married domestic part of his life. He saw it as an outlet for sex and revelry and his wife saw it for more mundane things like Pilates. It's just weird to see how upset he is about this when he's so bittersweet or conflicted over his opinion on different parts of the house just because of how they were used versus how he intended them to be used. Yeah, he does this big long tour of the house that most people are enjoying or at least interested in because Robert's a weird dude. And Robert is lamenting, as I said in the plot summary, that it's like he's mourning his bachelorhood, as you said. It's all over and so is his marriage. I feel like he was able to, I don't know, as long as he had one, it was okay, but now he has neither. He's been single, he's been married, now he's not young and single anymore, and he's just, he's just depressed. I mean, he's dealing with all of this change, and he's got this sex mansion that he doesn't, it's not, you know, so now he has to sell his his Playboy mansion. And so he's just doing this really depressing tour, and uh, as you said, there was a room that he wanted to be some like weird shrine and it ended up being a, a Pilates studio. So it's just not the life I think he imagined for himself. But back to the ring thing, Andy lost the ring briefly at this party. Uh, it is quickly found by Kelly, who loudly proclaims that she's found a, a ring and starts wearing it. And Andy tries to get it back saying that it's a bad omen to wear a ring of a failed marriage. Perhaps she thinks, or he's trying to get her to think that it's maybe Robert's wife's ring. So she takes it off, but Phyllis insists that they must destroy it. So Andy's just having a really hard time getting this back. So he's focusing on the ring while Aaron and Dwight are trying to make him jealous. So he's not even noticing them, which is just infuriating to Aaron. But he's got more important things to worry about, like trying to get this family heirloom back so everyone's frustrated it's just a it's it's one of those fruitless episodes yeah everybody's trying to accomplish things and failing um and aaron that they go so far as to have chicken fights i mean how romantic (laughs) to to in to team up her and dwight against jessica and andy as a united front it doesn't work out they lose uh dwight almost dies (laughs) <laughs> but by the end, I think Aaron realizes, yeah, this was kind of pathetic on my part, and I maybe tried to do a little bit too much. And so she finds the ring after it, the the burning boat, a uh, burning paper boat that it was on disintegrated. Uh, she finds it and she brings it to Andy. And nobody said, hey, this is Andy's ring that he's missing. She just assumed correctly that it was Andy's ring uh, for Jessica. And she sort of wrongly assumes that he was going to propose like this night. But Andy seems to have a little bit of conflict. And that goes back to Dwight. Dwight approached Andy and said, hey, I just want to make sure you and Aaron are completely 100% done, right? Because I would really like to take her home right now and just like have the sex out of her. Like he, he phrases it really strangely. Not that 
not that way, but I wanted to strain, phrase it strangely on purpose. I had a reason for saying it like that. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. I'm not like gotcha. really strange, <laughs> like have the sex. No. <laughs> Dwight phrased it strangely. And uh, Andy's just like, whatever you two decide as consenting adults, you have at it. And so Dwight says to Andy, you're an idiot. And I don't know exactly how to interpret what Dwight is saying here. Is this like, you don't know what you've given up? You're an idiot? Or in general, I just think you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You know, like what, what is Dwight's purpose in saying to Andy that you're an idiot? Because it sounds to me like Dwight is saying, you and Aaron are a great fit and she's totally into you. So why are you passing this up? Which I kind of understand. But at the same time, Andy and Jessica seem to be getting along great and she's pretty and they seem happy together. And I mean, why give up one happy feeling for maybe a, another happy feeling when that has already failed once, more than once? I think at least what I got from it was that Dwight, it reminded me of a Pam Dwight friendship. Not that Dwight and Aaron are close, but I think they bonded that night and that he had not paternal, but friend-like feelings, protective feelings for Aaron. She is young and, and innocent. And I think he was feeling protective of her and called Andy an idiot because how could she not like her? She's just so likable. And, you know, you're breaking your heart mm -hmm. and you're an idiot. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Meanwhile, sorry, I feel like we're jumping all over the place here, but there's a lot going on. Ryan and Gabe have some unspoken rivalry here where they each want to be Robert's number one guy and they each are trying to outdo the other one by their commitment to Robert. They're basically each trying to be really, really loyal to Robert and saying like, I'm your number one guy. I, I will be here as long as you want me. I think that's what Ryan says and Gabe says, I'll do you one better. I'll stay even longer than you want me here. I will outstay my welcome. <laughs> And uh, Robert either doesn't notice or doesn't care uh, that these guys are, are kind of vying for his attention, but they spend the whole night, yeah, doing that. And Robert, as he is giving this tour, this very long tour of the house, so when Robert is realizing that he's been recounting the nights he could have had in this house, there was one great night happening all along under his nose that he just missed, he said. And he declares that this night wasn't a get-together, this was a party. He called it a get-together at the beginning of the episode. And in some either mental breakdown or <laughs> effort to make it a real party, he strips naked and jumps into the pool. And Ryan and Gabe, who have pledged their loyalty to Robert all night long, must now follow suit, even though they clearly don't want to. And they kind of look at each other like, okay, we signed up for this. Like, we kind of forced ourselves into the situation. And so they also strip naked and jump into the pool. And that was meant to start the party and it pretty much ended it. <laughs> it's, it's something. I, I think back to Robert quotes we've heard, I'm never uncomfortable and I'm very comfortable with all things sexual. <laughs> yeah. Very clearly, the CEO of the company just stripped down in front of a small affiliate company's branch and bared all. And there'll be more to talk about that later. But, uh, Going back to Andy one last time, because I had a final point to make and I didn't make it, um, with what Dwight said to him about him being an idiot, whatever Dwight's intentions were, it leads to Andy having doubts or at the very least admitting doubts he already had 
to himself because when Aaron brings him the ring, he says, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. He just says, I, I just don't know. And so Aaron finishes the episode by saying, Andy's confused. That's not what I was hoping for, but it's not so bad either. I can live with confused. I get confused. I totally get confused. <laughs> yes, you do, Aaron. You do sometimes. <laughs> but it just appears that maybe Jessica isn't 100% what Andy wants at this point. He, he doesn't know. So that, that was my final Andy point. I really just have one last character thing. Um, it's small. Val is at the party. She and Daryl are hanging out the whole time. It appears as though Daryl invited Val. We don't see anybody else from the warehouse there. So that's kind of what it looks like. And they're getting along great. And at one point, Val decides to go swimming and asks Daryl if he wants to come, but he doesn't. Blaming it on the fact to the camera, not to Val, that his outer layer, as he calls it, hasn't burnt off yet from working out. But eventually, he finally sheds his self-confidence and cannonballs into the pool to be with Val. And she's clearly very pleased by that lack of care and that, that confidence. So things appear to be going pretty well for them. Yeah. It's a nice moment when Daryl's just like, oh, what the hell? Like, I don't care. What I look like, I want to be spending my evening with her. So, cannonball. My very, very small last character moment, and it's just something I wanted to highlight and put in the back of your heads for the future. Maybe Kathy is showing a little bit of interest in Jim because when he shows up, she turns over her shoulder. She's like, oh, hey, you. Hey, you. It's like a real flirty phrase. And then when the chicken fights pop up and Dwight and Aaron say, hey, we, we need challengers. Come out here. Kathy says, oh, sure, I'll do it. Where's Jim? Like Jim is the person she defaults to. And yeah, in one respect, they did sit next to each other for a while until she moved desk clumps back in Christmas Wishes. But it's just strange that her very first thought was, where's Jim? So who knows? Maybe drama on the horizon. But... Uh, it was a small thing I wanted to point out in case anybody missed it. Yeah, and and she said, "Where's Jim?" Was such like, "Oh, of course it would be Jim that I would be partnered with, of course." Mm-hmm. And then there was another one that bugged me. It was the "Oh, hey, late guy." Like, yeah. oh, mm, you watch yourself, nope. girl. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> moving into some funny moments. Do you want to take the the cold open? Sure. This is a really strange cold open, Jim has been thirsting for an audience for his pranks against Dwight. It's normally Pam, but obviously she's not there. He says, it's always more fun to mess with Dwight with an audience. That was usually Pam. Blah, blah. Turns out Stanley is quite the comedy fan, but not everything makes him laugh. He has very specific tastes. Through a painstaking process of trial and error, and we see a few scenes of him trying to make Stanley laugh and it just doesn't work. He says, I've found out what he likes and it's really weird. And what he has done is he has meatballed Dwight. It starts off with just placing a meatball in Dwight's chair. And so when Dwight goes to have a seat, he's disturbed because he sits on something and he looks down, oh, it's a meatball in his chair. And Stanley thinks this is so funny. You've been meatballed. And then Dwight opens his desk drawer and it's full of meatballs. And Stanley is just cackling away. And... Dwight says, this is not very clever, Jim. Jim just says, I know. Like, I'm with you here. I just, I wanted somebody to laugh. And then Stanley says, look for your stapler. And so Dwight finds a stapler and it's in a giant meatball. So really, really weird on its own. And then as everybody's saying goodbye for the day and they go out to the parking lot, 
Stanley conspiratorially goes over to Dwight's car and climbs in. And Dwight says, or Stanley says, what's the haul? Dwight says, 32 meatballs. Stanley says, good day. They have a joint talking head. Dwight says, that idiot's been feeding us for a week. Stanley says, we'll never have to buy meatballs again. (laughs) I don't know how this companionship, how this duo began, or what led them on the idea of having Jim cook meatballs for them. But whatever, I guess. (laughs) And do you really want to eat meatballs that have been part of a prank? I don't know, but they're going to, I guess. Yeah. All right. It's, It's weird. An Aaron moment. She has a talking head. She says, I'm not going to be one of those exes who can't move on. They have their life and I have mine. I'm taking an Italian class. So far, I've learned tortellini, spaghetti, linguine. Well, it's not so much a class as a restaurant, but I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday from seven to nine. Same. (laughs) My kind of Italian class. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love the humor in Jim's storyline once he gets to the party. He says, I am the master of leaving parties early. The key is you have to make a strong impression. So you want to have a picture taken. You want it to say some peculiar non sequitur that people remember. You want to note something unique, a talking point for later. I don't mean to brag, but New Year's Eve, I was home by nine. And so immediately after this talking head, he goes up to Robert and he's like, oh, this place is amazing. Uh, Let's take a picture. And they take a picture. That's beautiful. I'm going to email it to you. And he tries to leave right then and there. But Robert drags him in to this tour and will not let him leave, no matter what Jim tries to break away. And part of this goes back to something that happened early in the episode uh, when Robert was looking at a computer at pictures of his house on sale online. And Jim says, whoa, looks pretty nice. Got a little bit of a shining vibe, though. So that's strike one. And then Robert says, she's left me and forced me to sell the place. The ultimate insult, they're calling my speakeasy lounge a rumpus room. And Jim laughs. He says, does my turmoil amuse you, Jim? Jim says, I'm sorry. I thought you were making a joke. And so they go back and forth. Apparently, Robert clinging on to Jim for this tour and having him stay is almost like revenge or payback for Jim laughing at this terrible situation Robert has found himself in. But I just thought it was funny that Jim claims to be the master of leaving parties early, and then he basically stays until the end. Kevin, back at the office at the beginning, is so proud of himself. He kind of created this party, actually. He says, dude, what if, since you're feeling grumpy, this is to Robert, we all swing by tonight and check out your indoor pool. Oscar tries to stop. He says, Kevin, no, no, not a good idea. Robert says, what, as, as some sort of last hurrah? Kevin says, yeah, all of us in the pool saying hurrah maybe the last one that says hurrah is it (laughs) (laughs) yeah great party his Mm -hmm. idea but he did create the party yeah (laughs) yeah and then he brags to oscar was it you who just created a party out of thin air (laughs) no that was you they find the wine cellar at robert's (laughs) place and robert says oh what the hell everybody take a bottle it's less inventory for the the people selling the house to keep track of like who cares and so everybody grabs a bottle and they're super thankful and toby just randomly grabs a bottle of wine and it so happens to be a really good one apparently according to oscar oscar falsely interprets that toby is just like in the know and knows good wine and then toby all of a sudden feels the weight of those expectations he's like toby you're playing a dangerous game guess i'm through the gateway now huh 
<laughs> and so all through the episode, Oscar is making these little comments to Toby about like hints in the wine, hints of persimmon or a note of persimmon. Toby says, a note? It's a symphony. And he doesn't have an original thought about wine himself the entire episode. He's just m- uh, miming what Oscar says. And meanwhile, Oscar is getting progressively more drunk throughout the episode as he's swigging from the bottle. There are various moments, like they're making toast as they view each room. Uh, Robert is saying, you know, this is a waste of two bears. I had two bears stitched together to make the king size. And Jim, or I don't remember who makes the toast. They make the toast to to these two bears and everybody says to these two bears and then oscar basically cries oh to these two bears he's like emotional about it it was to uh to to both these bears yeah to, <laughs> to both these both bears, these even better. bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the phrasing that, that makes that makes it better and then later uh they've they've finally reached back to the pool area where they started off and toby is like pouring wine into oscar's mouth and he missed it, it dribbles all over his face and oscar just like drunkenly shouts i am bacchus god of wine <laughs> And Toby is proud. He says, I am Bacchus's friend. <laughs> That's the best he could come up with. Because I'm sure he doesn't know who Bacchus is. But uh, I just love seeing this weird friendship happening. And it's coming from false notions. And Oscar is getting drunk. And we no- normally see Oscar not serious. So it's just fun all around. Angela is taking this very seriously, this whole party. shes uh, I think she's in probably a a one piece and she's got a kickboard and she's swimming laps in the pool and Aaron and Dwight hop in the pool and they get in Angela's lane and she yells, you're in my lane. Uh, take a break. It's okay. You don't have to exercise. Speaking of Dwight and Aaron, it's funny how easily Dwight slips into the whole excessive flirting thing. It's really weird. And he like plays it up in very strange ways they do sexy eating which is basically aaron crushing potato chips and rubbing the grease into dwight's face yeah super sexy and they're thinking they're brainstorming together what's the most romantic possible thing and dwight says we can get some chicken fights going in the pool because yes that is the most romantic possible thing and you think aaron's gonna sort of like go against this she says dwight that's just that's really perfect. Thank you. Yes. And she's so into it. And so they start having these chicken fights and Aaron's like, our chemistry is really clicking. We work so well together. Dwight says, I know I could just bang you right now. No. Nope. Okay. Little, little too far. Well, and then he also goes too far with the, they're, they're doing the stop it. No, you stop. No, you stop. And then Aaron talks to the camera. She's, is he looking? He being Andy. And then they realize he's not looking. Okay. Okay, Dwight, stop. Okay, no, you can stop. No, Dwight, stop. No, you, Dwight, <laughs> get stop. Down. He's we- not looking. Stop. <laughs> stop threading. <laughs> Meredith is really into the pool. She says, you guys got to try this pool. There's no top scum. There's no band-aids. This thing is choice. So that tells you about what kind of pools Meredith usually visits. Oh, Val asks Kevin about Daryl in his swimming she says does does daryl not swim oh yeah and kevin says that's racist (laughs) (laughs) which Uh, i'm trying to find the full quote right here (laughs) (laughs) he says that's racist i don't know but i would say by looking at him no daryl does not swim like what is that (laughs) supposed to mean is that not racist kevin i think it was a uh more of a size joke Maybe, maybe so, but I mean, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> Kevin's bigger. Well, no, not he's hopefully. Swimming, so <laughs> that's true. These are all bad. 
Last one for me, there's, uh, it's the very last scene, actually. It's just Robert, Ryan, and Gabe. Ryan and Gabe are still super committed to uh, being the last ones there, and they are the last ones there. In fact, it's just the three of them. They're dancing, exhausted and drunk, and Robert says, okay, I, I just need a breather. So he sits down and immediately falls asleep. And Ryan says to Gabe, okay, Robert's asleep. We can leave. Gabe says, yeah, go ahead. Because uh, he wants to be the last one there, the sole friend. And so they're both just stuck there alone, two of them dancing to weird music and weird lights. And they're drunk and sweaty and just very much neither. Nobody wants to be there anymore, but they have to. So they're just like angry dancing. <laughs> yeah. Ryan realizes he's trapped there. With Gabe. <laughs> yeah. With Gabe. And before he fell asleep, Robert said, it's not a party if you don't do something that scares you. Uh, I, I disagree. No. But tomato, tomato, whatever. To each his own. Um, my last one, when Robert strips down to nothing in front of everybody, he's just standing on the edge of the pool. Kevin is right below him, just looking up, like cowering, like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do in this situation? I'm not in a good position for this. And then Jim is just like, okay, peace out. I'm gone. He's like, there's my talking point. And he gets out of there and he like runs over some shrubbery. He's like, I am done with this. I've got to leave. Uh, I just love the, the, the fervor with which he leaves. <laughs> it's over this party. Some deleted scenes. We only have a few for this episode. Ryan sees that there are two indoor pools right next to each other. He says two pools, a divider, a bridge. Good choice. It says everything about everything, right, Robert? And he's trying to be as pretentious and Robert-like as he can. Mm. And then in that same umbrella of Robert, his house, we get a Phyllis talking head. She says, Robert's house is, well, I don't mean to sound offensive, but it's like where a basketball player would live. <laughs> okay. I, I okay. don't know how to interpret that, but <laughs> I think it should be offensive. <laughs> I don't know. Um, expensive i don't know <laughs> another deleted scene aaron is laying on her stomach and dwight is straddling her giving her a massage and she says oh dwight that feels so good they're hamming it up because they think andy would be listening but no he's searching for the ring right now he says yeah baby hey andy dwight gives the best massages yeah sounds like it he's really distracted then Dwight all of a sudden looks concerned and he says, hey, have you ever been checked for scoliosis, which was just a recent discussion topic or not discussion topic, but a talking point in a deleted scene or something uh, in the last episode or two? Yeah. And Aaron treats it as a game. She says, I don't know. Why don't you check me, Dr. Schroot? Because <laughs> he, he says, no, no, seriously, your spine is jacked. It's like the devil's curse on it. <laughs> and she says, you mean more like dangerous curves? Says, gosh, you'd, you'd be like eight feet tall if this thing was straightened out. <laughs> <laughs> Another Aaron talking head. She says, you date a guy. You find out he was engaged to your coworker, so you throw a cake at him. It's over. You start liking him again, so you ask him out with a puppet show. He says no. Then he follows you home to make sure you don't kiss somebody, and then he ignores you at a pool party. <laughs> Am I right, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it happens to every person, Relatable. every woman. <laughs> Uh, we see the first chicken fight happen between Dwight and Aaron and Auntie Jessica. Aaron, before they start, is stretching Dwight's groin. He's like, I don't know if it's stretching the groin or opening the pelvic bowl like he did in the Dwight's Gym for Muscles. It's really weird in any case. But then they get in 
after Jessica and Andy win the first one, Jessica has her only talking head in the series, unless there's another one later in another deleted scene. But she says she and her brother were the chicken fight champions of their swim club growing up. She said, we even beat the Strauss twins. And then the camera crew just like gives her a blank stare or something because she says, okay, I guess somebody didn't grow up in West Hartford, Connecticut. No, they didn't. You did. And then I think the last one, Robert talks about his favorite room of the house. Robert says, this room I liked for the view. I dreamed that I would watch my guests walk to their cars at dawn, their faces flushed with the shame of regret for the choices they made the night before. He laughed. Ryan says, I get that. Gabe says, beautiful sentiment. Jim, drunk, says, to the shame room. (laughs) Robert laughs and says, I live in this room. And Oscar gets in one last wine comment to Toby. He says, oh, minerally. And Toby just, uh, yeah, yeah, minerally. Totally. Yeah, good one. Okay, discussion topic for this episode. Partially brought to us by our friend Leslie, who emailed something uh, along these lines to us uh, today about one of our previous episodes. Uh, we talked about how in Christmas Wishes, Robert Robert was heartbroken. It showed that he maybe had some feelings for his wife. But this episode sort of even brings that into question. Because was he heartbroken over losing his wife? Or was he heartbroken over losing his home and money and property in the settlement for the divorce? Like, what, what do you think is really going on here? What was he heartbroken over? I mean, it's so hard to say because we get one episode of their marriage, but I feel like it's the shame of a divorce and the inconvenience of a divorce and the expense of a divorce. They're very expensive. Losing half of his stuff, potentially, and the status that comes with, you know, a successful marriage and a home and all the wealth. It's a emotion in a lot of ways i guess like you had something and you lost it so i think it's more of a, a pride hit he does say in the beginning of the episode to jim a beautiful monster cost me my 40s and my dream home i think i'm entitled to the occasional bad day so i think that's part of it too yeah yeah his wife was beautiful he was attracted to her but he lost a decade of his life in his mind and he lost his dream home, which he did not ever get to exercise or utilize in the way that he had originally intended to. So lots of things for him to be heartbroken over and maybe very little of it has to do with actually being in love with his wife. Yeah. So we do have a couple of voicemails. We had one or two of these um, from before our last episode we recorded but we wanted to save them just because of time crunch reasons. So our first one is from Alvaro from Spain. So listen to Alvaro. Hey guys, this is Alvaro from Spain. Uh, I'm like the biggest freak in, in Spain, definitely. I'm probably in Europe. I have watched the whole series like six times or seven, and I'm re-watching it again. And I just want to say that thank you guys. You are great. I have so fun with the podcast. I even quite miss those, like in the train or walking, uh, smiling, and the people who get me like nerds. But uh, whatever, I like it. Uh, so I want to ask you guys, what do you think of the new release in 2019? I think? Uh, do you think that's just a fake or is it possible? Um, would it be like weird to have the office like six years later? What do you, what do you guys think? Uh, thanks a lot. Have fun. Bye-bye. Okay, so what Alvaro is asking about is the 
possibility of a reboot coming either this year or next year or whenever if it might be weird for it to be further along in time like is this going to be like a six year later thing if it does happen what our thoughts on that are so do you have any thoughts on any sort of reboot katie so i feel like these these rumors happen every year or two oh there's going to be an office reboot and is it going to start right after the office ended or is it going to be modern day I'm not even sure that I necessarily want an office reboot just because I feel like it ended really well. I feel like it was a it was a show that ran its course and ended when it should have. Unfortunately, I don't think that there is any real evidence of a reboot. I don't think any of the producers or any of the cast has really made any moves to do a reboot as far as I know. So I'm going to say it's unlikely definitely this year, probably next year probably ever i doubt there will be one yeah i i doubt there will be any sort of series and like you i don't think there will i don't think i want one we have seen a a sort of resurgence of rebooted old tv shows from like the 90s especially there's been roseanne come back there's been full house there's been they did a a gilmore girls yeah gilmore uh, girls um Boy Meets World. Oh, yeah, Boy Meets World. And they also had Will and Grace come back. So, I mean, it's possible that they come back with a series. But here's my thought. If they come back with like a full-fledged series, you're not going to get John Krasinski because he's a big director now. You're not going to get Steve Carell. You're not going to get Ed Helms. You're not going to get any of these big guys who have gone on to bigger and better things, basically. You're going to have most of the rest of the cast. Maybe. But here's what I would like. If... If they did anything future with The Office, like bring it back in some capacity, I would like a two hour special, like a a Christmas special, a limited series or something that is short, something that only happens once or maybe once and then happens again a few years later where you can have some of those big people maybe come back because it's less of a commitment. And I, I, I think that might be fun. Just like a, Where's the office six years later, 10 years later, whenever they make this, however many years later, I think that would be fun. Just like a one-off, here's where they are, here's an episode, one episode of antics, they can write that one episode really, really well, and then it's done. But even then, I'm fine if they don't make that. Yeah. I think it ended, as I said, well, kind of like what they did for for Gilmore Girls, um, where they did four episodes, current day, you know, where, where they would be now. I think that worked well. It had some very mixed reviews, but this is not a Gilmore Girls podcast, so I will not go into it. But um, <laughs> that sort of concept would work well, I think. But again, I don't think we need it. And that's probably going to get some pushback, but that's what I think. Agreed. Let's just stick with what we got. Yeah. Okay, we have one more voicemail that we're going to play on the show. This is from Ralph. Hey, Chad and Katie. I just wanted to go back real quick to the Lotto episode. There was a point where Jim and Dwight are joking around about, like, if Madge can do it, then anyone can do it. Not so much about the joke, but they were joking around. Like, they were having a respectful, like, friendly conversation. Do you think this is a new thing for Jim and Dwight? Like, their relationship is getting better? Or do you think it's always been like that outside of the pranks and the cameras are just seeing more of it? Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. Have a good one. So are Dwight and Jim becoming better friends than they were? Um, yes. I, I, I wouldn't classify them as friends necessarily. I think Dwight and Pam, you could call friends. 
um, and Jim and Dwight do have moments of when they get along, and that was one of them. But I, I don't think that they're necessarily friends at this point. Dwight has definitely moved on from his uh, dastardly plot. He doesn't necessarily refer to Jim as his worst enemy anymore. Uh, so they've moved past that. But no, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily friends. But maybe they're closer to becoming what you might call friends. So there's that. I'm glad you brought this up, Ralph, because I always liked that moment in that episode, not because of the joke, because the joke's kind of mean, but the relationship, I always liked that moment. I think there is a lot more of that that we don't see. I would agree that they probably don't call themselves friends, but I think a third party viewer might think that they were friends. Uh, Even actually, Holly said that when she got here, oh, you two were the best of friends. Mm Mm-hmm. And they didn't agree. They said, no, 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 we're, we're not friends. And they kind of stared at each other like, we're not buds. But I think, I think they're secret friends and they don't know it. I've always kind of thought that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think it, it's almost like when you're a kid and you're like really good friends with somebody of the opposite sex and somebody's like, well, are you two dating? And you're like, gross, no. And you secretly are in love with them. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Like, I, I could see that sort of, yeah. even though they don't want to admit it to themselves, that they have a friendship. Right esque kind of thing going on because they work well selling together they have a good rapport i think if anything was really out to get the other person they would have their co-workers back i'm not going to call them friends but their co-workers back i think they've got a good working relationship at the very least and that there's a lot more rapport that we don't see yeah and so that's our voicemails for this week thank you to alvaro and to ralph for calling out And that is the end of our official 88th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can go over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to leave us an email, leave feedback or ideas, you can do so at workplacepod at gmail.com. If you would like to leave us a voicemail, once again, the number is 93PRETSDAY. That is 937-738-9329. If you would like to call and leave a question or a comment or share with us some of your favorite funny moments that we did not talk about or anything else that we did not talk about you'd like us to hear about, uh, we'd love for you to call in. Try and keep your voicemail less than a minute long. Say your name. Be specific. Get to the point so that we are more likely to play it. So we would love to hear from you guys. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And my other podcast is Cinescope, which you can find where other podcasts can be found and thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. We do have a new Patreon supporter, Courtney. Thank you so much to you, Courtney, for your support and to all of our other Patreon supporters. If you want a shout out on more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams. Check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 88 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 89 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season eight, Jury Duty and Special Project. Bye. Bye.
Uh, what's our discussion topic for this episode? Before we do that, do you want to do some deleted scenes? Oh, maybe. Yeah, let me go to my document <laughs> that has the deleted scenes. That's a good idea. <laughs> so we do have a couple of voicemails from oh. the last couple of weeks. Oh, what's up? Uh, sorry, I just I, I forgot that we had voicemails too. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we do? God. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Boy Meets World. Oh, yeah, Boy Meets World. And there's one more from the night from the 90s. And I hate to sound like bad about it. I'll cut this, but the one with the gay the gay guy in it. Oh, they did a queer eye. No, no, not queer eye. Although it's like is... the gay guy who lives with the woman. Oh, 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 oh. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. I know, yeah. Uh Megan Mullally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, why are we <laughs> oh, Will and Grace. Will and Grace. Uh, 